And when we started this series and going on through this series, what our heart, what our prayer is, is that we get a better idea of what heaven is like. Because I know that if we truly see a crystal clear picture of what awaits for us, it will start changing how we live today. And that's what we want. After this series is over, that we can have a better idea, that we can get rid of some miscommunication or uh, misconcepts of what heaven is like. So let's pray. We have a lot to cover today, and then we'll jump into God's word. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you so much again that we can come here and just open up your word and hear from you, Father, that we can corporately just worship you. And Father, I always, as always, I ask that your word penetrates our heart, that we just don't listen to what is said, Father, but we are converted, that our lives are changed because of your truths, Father. And Father, I ask that we start living for what's eternal and not what's temporary, Father. Let us be changed from the inside out. And most of all, Father, I ask that you place in our hearts an urgency so that others can hear your word, that we can be witnesses to everybody we know and share the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. I, um, I remember the first time that I encountered a loss of a loved one. I was in fifth grade. I was about 11 years old. And um, I had a best friend. His name was Robbie. And Robbie and I were inseparable. Man, we would hang out together at school during recess, just play. We were totally always together. Literally, my hand, my arm was always around his shoulder, and his arm was always around mine. And everywhere we went, we were together. And I remember one day, Robbie's mom told me that I couldn't hang out with him as much because he was sick. And he was going to take medication, and he was going to feel weak, so I wouldn't be able to go over after school as much. And he would, he, she would invite me whenever he was feeling better so I can go and hang out, hang out with him. And I remember clearly that Robbie started missing a lot of school. And once in a while, I'd go visit him and we hang out, but he wasn't the same. He was weak. Eventually, he started losing his hair. And then one day, his mom and my mom, they, they told me that Robbie had died. And I clearly remember that that evening when we went to his wake, I was in the back with my mom, and all these people were there, and my mom asked if I wanted to go see Robbie for the last time. And I didn't. I didn't want to. I was, I was nervous. I was afraid. But I mustered up the courage, and I went up to the casket, and I looked down at my friend's body. And I thought to myself, you know, it looks like Robbie, but that's, that's not him. That's not the Robbie I hung out and played with every day. And I remember clearly people were, were around Robbie's mom. She was a single parent and consoling her and telling her, it's okay, he's not suffering anymore, he's at a better place. And I thought to myself, what is this better place? I mean, I had the concept of heaven, I had an idea of heaven, but I didn't know where my friend was at. I didn't know what they were talking about. I would ask my mom, I would ask friends, and no one could give me a clear picture of where this place my friend was at. Fast forward four years, four years ago, my grandfather, who I was pretty close to, he he started getting ill. Oh, that's the asbestos again that Darren was talking about. And I knew that I had to share with him what I knew about the Bible. And he was, he was sick off and on, going to the hospitals back and forth. But one day he entered the hospital, and 
we had a feeling that this was it. So I went beside his, his bed, and he was just there, weak. And I just read to him what Revelation 21 has said. That's all I could think of. Me being a pastor, that's all I can think of telling him. And now looking back, I, I wish I could have told him more. I wish I could have said, look, I used to call my grandfather, Papabel, Papabel, this is what's going to happen to you. This is where you're going to be at, and this is what's going to be like. But I didn't. I didn't have the knowledge like I do now. And I'm willing to bet that some of you are in the same predicament as I was. That you have lost ones that have gone. Parents, brothers, sisters, children. And you have an idea where they're at, but you don't, you don't have a clear picture of what they're doing and what it's like. You know that they're a better place, hopefully. But do you know what that better place is like? Well, that's what I want to share with you today. I want to share with you what the Bible says that better place is like. I want to share with you what happens when you die. What happens if you were to die today? Now, I want you to understand what I'm going to be talking about today is what the Bible talks about. It's called the intermediate heaven. See, this intermediate heaven that I'm going to be explaining to you today is not the heaven we're going to be for in eternity. See, the new earth and the new heaven, that's when to come. When Christ returns, he's going to establish a thousand-year millennial, and then he's going to escort in the new heaven and the new earth. And we're going to get to that later on. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the intermediate heaven that Jesus Christ established when he's resurrected from the dead. What happens if you were to die today? So again, just to give you a clear picture of what I'm going to be talking about, let's just imagine that you're homeless, no job, no friends, just suffering really day by day. And then one day, you realize that you have an inheritance, that you've inherited this beautiful home in California. Beautiful, fully furnished, awesome, huge, overseeing the ocean, great backyard. And then in California, you're going to have this great job, a job that you love to do, that you wake up every morning saying, yes, I'm going to go to work. And not only that, you're told that in California, you're going to be reunited with family members you haven't seen in years, friends, and you're going to hang out every day. So you're all excited to go to California, and when you get to the ticket booth to get your plane, airplane ticket, the lady behind the counter tells you, you know what, but you're going to have a stop-off in Dallas. Before you get to your ultimate destination, you're going to have a layover in Dallas. That's all right. You're still going to California. Dallas isn't so bad. But if someone were to ask you, hey, what's your final destination? You're not going to tell them Dallas. You're going to tell them California. See, what I'm going to be talking about today is just a temporary destination. It's the intermediate heaven, the present heaven. What we're longing for, what our ultimate goal is to be with him for eternity. When we'll have a new earth, a perfect earth, a new heaven, and God will dwell with us the way he intended it to be so what I want to do again is I want to take you like a little journey maybe a step-by-step of what happens if we were to die today but let me make this clear what I'm going to talk about today is if someone dies today who's a believer in other words if someone puts their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and knows that what he did on the cross was an ultimate sacrifice that he died for our sins completely and we trust with our hearts in that then you are saved. 
And this is what's going to happen to you when you die. So let's start. Step number one, my point number one to you is this. I will be temporarily separated from my body. I will be temporarily separated from my body. Our body stays here on the ground, our flesh, but our soul goes into heaven. I like to think that maybe angels come and usher our souls into heaven. And I get that from uh, Luke, verse, chapter 16, verse 22, the parable that we saw last week, where it says this, the poor man died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's side. I like to think that that's what's going to happen. Just we're died, our body stays here, but our soul is ushered into heaven. There's a book called uh, The Jim Elliott Story. And it's a story about these five missionaries, one of them being Jim Elliott. And for years, they had tried to reach this Indian tribe, a very violent tribe. They were, they were an Indian tribe that would murder each other. They'd murder other tribes. And for years, they had been trying to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. They would drop food into their location, Bibles. And one day, Jim Elliott felt that this is time. It's time for us to go down there and physically meet with them face-to-face, fellowship with this tribe. And that day when they landed and were dropped off with a helicopter, immediately they were all killed by that tribe. All of them martyred. The wives back home heard news of this, and after mourning and doing a lot of praying, they felt that their husband's death shouldn't go in vain. They felt that they need to go and finish what their husbands had started. So these five women went to this island, and miraculously they were able to communicate and talk to this tribe. There was a revival, and many of them converted. Many of them trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the book tells us, the story says that one evening, one of the wives, Jim Elliott's wives, was sitting there and talking to a a tribe member, and the tribe member confessed and pretty much asked for forgiveness because he was one of them who had killed their husbands. And he says that after he had killed their husbands, the men, that they heard music in the trees behind them. And they were freaking out because they saw this white thing over their bodies. And from that day forward, they thought, oh my goodness, we did something wrong. I'd I'd like to picture that that those were angels just coming down and ushering these men's souls into heaven. So we'll be immediately separated. They're temporarily separated from our body. Let me just give you a little side note here, okay? When our soul reaches heaven right now, we're going to stand in front of a creator. And we're going to be judged right away. It's called the judgment of faith. And here he's going to ask you and say, why should I let you into heaven for eternity? And you're all going to say your response is because I have put my trust in Jesus Christ. Nothing that I've done, but all that he has done for me. We don't want to get that faith judgment or the judgment of faith confused with judgment that's to come. When Christ returns, we're also going to be judged. It's called the Bema seat, the mercy seat, where all of us, all of his creation will stand before God and we're going to have to be responsible and answer for our deeds, our thoughts, and our actions. And those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ will be ushered into the new heaven and the new earth and will be rewarded based on that judgment. The same way those non-believers will stand in for, before Jesus Christ. They're going to stand before the white throne of Jesus Christ, and they're going to be judged 
accordingly as well and be put into what the Bible calls the lake of fire. So when we die today, we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we will, all, we will have either heavenly and blessings for eternity or we'll have sorrow and separation from God completely for eternity. I just want to make that clear, get a better understanding of the judgments that the Bible talks about. Step two, if we were to die today, I would immediately enter God's presence. My point number two, I will immediately enter God's presence. Our soul is separated from our bodies, and we're immediately in the presence of God. There are two misconceptions here. Some people believe uh, that we're not immediately in the presence of God. And one of these theories or misconceptions is what's called temporal soul sleep. And they get this misconception from what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. And Paul says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. I'm talking about uh, people that have passed during that time. That you may not grieve as others do when you, we have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. For this we just declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul uses this term asleep to describe what's happened to the believers that have died. But this word is a form of euphemism. He doesn't mean literally sleep. Paul doesn't mean that, okay, our soul is separated from our bodies and it goes into a temporary sleep mode and then we will be awakened again upon Jesus Christ's return. He doesn't, he's not saying that. A commentary, as a matter of fact, puts it this way. He says, this is not a sleep of the soul. It is rather the sleep of the body in the earth until it is resurrected, changed into a glorious body and reunited with a soul. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be at home with God. He was longing for that. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. He says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul's longing for that being at home with him once he dies. He also struggles. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, Paul says this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He's not trying to say, oh man, I can't wait till I... I die and I'll have a temporary soul sleep. No, he wants to be with him immediately. That is what he's longing for, to be with him. And then this verse, Jesus himself says this in Luke 23, verse 43. Jesus is speaking to the, to the criminal on the cross next to him. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. When? Today. He will be in me in paradise. Some critics say that that's not uh, how it was originally written. They say that, and he said to him, Jesus, truly I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. In other words, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's saying, hey, I'm going to tell you today. What I'm telling you today, I'm telling you today that you will be with me in paradise. 
That makes no sense. Jesus never spoke like Yoda. He is saying, I'm on the cross, and because you put your trust in me today, he didn't say you're going to go into this temporary soul sleep. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. The other misconception that is very uh, prominent here in Laredo is that of the purification of our sins, uh, what people call purgatory. People believe that when you die, you don't go immediately into the presence of heaven. If you're not good enough, you go into the state called purgatory where the purification of your sins have to occur before you're cleansed enough to go into heaven. And they get this, these beliefs from 2 Maccabees uh, chapter 12, verses 39 through 45. And it's not even in our, in our Bible, this book. But what that story talks about is these men go into battle and they die. And Judas, one of the tribe, goes and he realizes that these men had uh, false gods. They had idols wrapped around their necks. And they said, oh no, they've died. Let's bring an offering together and take it back to Judas so we can uh, purify their sins. So they collect all the silver and give it an offering to God saying, look, they died and they sinned when they were dying by wearing these idols around their necks. Please purify their sins so they can go into heaven. The other misconception that, uh, of purgatory where it comes from is from the, the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians verse 3, verses 11 through 15, where it talks about our works, really our rewards, that we will be tested through fire. If, if, if our works are of gold and, and jewels, then fire can harm them. But if our works are of hay and straw, and wood, then fire would destroy them. It's not talking about our purifications of our sins. It's talking of how we lived our lives here on earth. That is a verse of eternal rewards. And we had a series last month on that. Really to believe in the doctrine of purgatory is to say, Jesus, your sacrifice was not good enough. Yeah, I believe you died on the cross for our sins, but I need to be purified a little bit more before I get to heaven. You didn't completely forgive all my sins. So I'm hoping that when I die, I'm hoping my family members pray for me, that they light enough candles for me, that they, they give enough money to the priest for me so that I can go eventually into heaven. And when Jesus hung on that cross and said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. Your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. Your sins are purified once and for all. For all those who have trusted Jesus Christ, and if they were to die today, they would be immediately face-to-face and -face eternity with Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28 says this. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as a high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have to have suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he, speaking of Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 
His sacrifice was enough. Done once, forever. My third point, my third step, if you want to consider steps. I will be aware of what is happening. There's a misconception that we're not going to have any awareness. There's a misconception that it's going to be just worship after worship, and that's true, but there's going to be other things going on. We got a glimpse of it last Sunday when Pastor Adrian talked about the parable of the rich man um, and Lazarus, Luke 16. And we see that the rich man is in agony. He's conscious. He knows he's not in a good place. He's isolated. He's alone. He feels thirsty. He asked Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and just give me just a drop. And also Abraham is, is talking to, La, uh, to the rich man saying, my son, it is too late. So he knows his surroundings. They both do. There's some consciences. They are aware of what is happening. Revelation 6 describes a little more in detail of the occurrences in heaven. Verses 9 through 11 says this. When he opened the fifth sealed, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They, talking about the martyrs, cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. I want to pause here for a little bit and make some observations. And these observations I got from um, Randy Alcorn's book called Heaven. I highly recommend it that you get a copy, read, and get some far more detail uh, than we can ever get so be here because of the, the time that is allotted. But one of the observations, or some of the observations that Randy makes based on this passage is that, first of all, the martyrs in heaven that they're speaking to about here in this verse are the same people that were on earth. The exact same people here on earth are in heaven. We're going to be the exact same people here on earth as we are in heaven, except in a different state. They're remembered for their lives on earth. Everybody around them seems to know that they were martyrs, which leads us to believe that maybe what we do here on earth does have an effect what we could do in heaven. Oh, there's Eddie, the Steeler fan. They remembered. There's, there's an, an impact that we do here on earth will impact what we do in heaven. Another observation is that they speak. There's voices. You hear that. They cried out with a loud voice. There's communication. So if you can, if you can speak, you can hear. So there's, again, communication. The martyrs are fully conscious, rational, and aware of each other. There's also a concept of time. The martyrs are asking God, how long, how long before you avenge us? And then they responded, wait a little longer. There's time. So we're going to have a concept of time. There's going to be communication. The martyrs clearly remember their lives on earth. They remember that they were murdered for Jesus Christ. This is what really blew my mind. I really had a, a, an understanding that we couldn't have bad memories in heaven. That's what I thought. But in reading Randy Alcorn's commentary and then reading over this passage, they remember. The martyrs remember that they were once killed on earth, but yet they're happy. They're praising God. 
We'll see later on that they're all saying, holy, holy, holy. They're in worship. I think they choose not to remember. I think we're going to have healthy emotions in heaven. And the way I like to picture this is, imagine this. I, my family and I love, we love going to SeaWorld just to get away. We like getting on the rides and the thrills and just get away. And for a weekend, we're just problem free. But I remember the stuff I have at home. The day-to-day -day <laughs> worries. But that doesn't change the happiness and the joy that I have at SeaWorld. We're in heaven. We're going to be in a SeaWorld that's much, much better. And we're going to choose not to remember because whatever memory, bad memory we had before, is going to so pale to the joy and the peace and the excitement and the whatever that we'll have in heaven. We're not going to remember. We're going to choose not to remember. And if we do, it'll be for a blink and then move on. We'll be happy. No pain. No worries. Those in heaven see God's attributes clearer in a way that makes his judgment of sin a lot more understandable. See, right now we have an idea. Jesus died for our sins. He's merciful. He's great. But in heaven, we'll see his grace completely. And we'll realize, wow. What an awesome God we serve. We'll have this great idea of, I'm so unworthy. The martyrs are wearing white robes. It says, then they each were each given a white robe. It could be that we're going to have some sort of physical form. I know it's not going to have, a, we're not going to be the resurrected bodies. Not yet. That comes later. But some form of physical form now people believe and i agree there's a lot of uh, symbolism in revelation and the white robes probably represent the cleansing that christ has done for their sins they're completely white but if they're communicating if they're worshiping if they're asking when then they have to have some sort of vocal cords and if someone else is listening then we have to have some sort of ears I, I truly don't believe that we're going to be just souls. We're going to have some sort of form that we can recognize each other. Which leads me to my next point. I will recognize and communicate with believers who preceded me into heaven. I will recognize and communicate with believers who preceded me into heaven. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. This is Jesus uh, taking... Um, three of his apostles with him and it says this now about eight days after these sayings he took him with took with him peter and john and james and went up onto the mountain to pray and as he was praying the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white and behold two men were talking with him moses and elijah who appeared in the glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at jerusalem now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Peter had never seen Moses or Elijah before. They didn't have Kodak pictures or selfies back then. But yet he knew that they were them. He knew it was Moses. He knew it was Elijah. 
He recognized them. We're going to be able to recognize those who went before us. We're going to see the Old Testament saints. We're going to see all the saints of the new church. Look what Jesus says in Matthew uh, chapter 8, verse 11. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I like to picture that we're going to be sitting back, a big carne asada with a table, and there's Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, David. We're all going to recognize each other, ask questions, and just be in awe with Jesus at the head of the table. I Googled or I looked in Amazon just out of curiosity, how many books were written of heaven? And 36 books came out, all different titles. Of course, there's um, Heaven is for Real. My daughter went to heaven. My son went to heaven. There's one that's called I Went to Heaven and Back. One said I was 10 minutes in heaven. And literally two books later, this other guy who thought it was better wrote I was 15 minutes in heaven. And I was just looking through some of the, the summaries, the descriptions of what these books said. There was one common denominator. And each of the people that went to heaven said that they were reunited with loved ones. That they recognized, oh, there's my grandma, there's my grandfather, there's my mom, there's my dad, there's my cousin. They had that recognition. Man, I like to believe that's true. I like to believe that one day, hopefully, I'll see Robbie. I like to believe that I know one day I'll see my grandfather. See, but it's not what books say. It's not what people's experience say. It's what God says. So whatever you hear, whatever you read, whatever you see, go back to Scripture and let him tell you what heaven is like. And I truly believe we'll recognize each other. We'll communicate with each other. We'll fellowship We'll be united again forever and ever. Great, joyous, peaceful moment. And step number five. I will participate in magnificent worship with angels and believers. Man, picture the best worship service you've been to and then multiply it times 20 million. Worship on spiritual steroids. I mean, just awesome. Continuously, just worship in the presence of our creator. That's not all we're going to be doing, but man, it's going to be a whole bunch of time for that. Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11 says this, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes and all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Just falling to our faces in worship feeling it truly being in the presence of God that should just encourage us to live eternally so we're going to be conscious we're going to think we're going to communicate we're going to have fellowship we'll remember 
And that's all great. But the best part is how we with Jesus Christ forever. So let me recap the steps or my points. I will be temporarily separated from my body. I will immediately enter God's presence. I will be aware of what's happening. I will recognize and communicate with believers who preceded me into heaven. I will participate in magnificent worship with angels and believers. My sixth step is that my body will be miraculously resurrected by God. See, our soul and our body will not always be separated. Upon his return, the judgment day will be resurrected. Our bodies will be resurrected. Our bodies will be glorified. And our souls will reunite with our body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 53 says this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. This is Paul speaking. We should not all sleep, but we should all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must be put on the immortality. We're going to be, uh, our bodies are going to be resurrected. Our glorified bodies, our imperishable bodies will be resurrected. And we'll be in that state forever and ever. And then lastly, my point number seven to you guys is, I will witness the new heaven coming down on the new earth. I will witness the new heaven coming down on the new earth. We're going to be speaking about this in more detail in two weeks. But Revelation 21 verses 1 through 4 says this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man he would dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away that is what we have to long for. Will there be no more death, no more pain, no more tears? That is the, the, those are the verses I read to my grandfather. The last time I saw him here on earth. Because I didn't have anything else. Like I said in the beginning, I, I wish I had a better description back then as I do now. But before he passed away, I knew that there was one thing I needed to do. Like I mentioned, he was ill for about four years off and on, hospital visits back home. But I wanted to make my priority, above anything else, was to share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanted to make sure that when he were to die, he was gonna be in eternity with God. So I would visit him back and forth, Tell him a little bit about the Bible. But one afternoon, I went to visit him. And he was sitting there in his, in his couch and he was watching TV. Some nun on the channel. And he tells me, I watch her every single day at 3. Turn it on, religiously. And he tells me, every day at 12, this priest comes and gives me the Eucharist every day religiously. And I take it. And as much as I can, I read my Bible. And he had a Bible next to him. I don't understand it. 
but I read it every day. And I was listening to him. And he tells me, I try to be a good husband, a good father. I know I've failed, but I've tried, and God knows I've tried. And then I said, I said, that's good. That's good, Papavel. But are you doing it to earn your salvation? Are you looking at this lady speak about God because you feel you have to? Or if you don't, you won't be in eternity with him? Do you feel that you have to receive this piece of bread that this man brings to you every single day? Because if you don't, you've sinned and you won't go to heaven? Do you feel that you need to read your Bible every day? Do you think you've been good enough? Good enough to be in the presence of a holy God? And he looks at me like, what are you saying? Is this wrong? And I said, no, it's not wrong. But it is wrong if you're doing it to earn your salvation. If you're doing all these things to think that you can be good enough one day to, to be in eternity with him, then you got it all wrong. Because I told him, there's only one way you can go to heaven. And that is by truly believing your heart that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was sufficient for your sins. Ask him for forgiveness. Tell him to come into your heart. Tell him you truly believe what he did and what he said. And once you do, then if you want to watch this lady because you want to, go ahead, not because you have to. If you want to receive communion because God tells us to do it as often as we can, then do it. If you want to read your Bible, don't feel you have to. Do it because you want to know your creator more and more. And he got it. He understood. And little by little, I go visit him again and share him a little bit more at the Bible. And he got it. And then that last day, when I saw him at the hospital, he was just tired. He would complain to me. Um, he said, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be in this hospital bear wearing this, this robe. I can't put on pants. He would tell me, I'm a man. I need to wear pants. I can't go to the bathroom by myself. I'm done. And I told him, Revelation 21. And after I read to him, I told him, you're going to be a man in heaven forever. But have you trusted Christ? And he went like this. My challenge to you today, my command for you today, not mine, God's command for you today is to pick out that one person, that family, family member, that loved one, that neighbor, I don't know. But if you don't share the good news with Jesus Christ, if they don't accept him as their Lord and Savior and they die, it's too late. There are no second chances. If they die without having Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter how many candles you burn. It doesn't matter how much you pray to God, please let him into heaven. It's done. We are not saviors. We're not going to save anybody. We're not called to do that. The Holy Spirit moves in people's heart. But we are called to share the good news, to be witness to others, to try to save them from eternal punishment. Who is that person in your life? Pray about it and move on it before it's too late. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you so much. Of course, that you've given us the opportunity to spend eternity with you because of what your son, Jesus Christ, has done for us at the cross. And Father, my prayer today 
is that if anybody hasn't put their trust in your son, if anybody hasn't truly come to, not, to the knowledge of that, a heart knowledge, a transformation in their heart, that they do so immediately, Father. Father, I also pray that if, you, if anybody here is truly a believer, that they go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ with anybody that you put into their hearts, family members, neighbors, loved ones, that we can be a church that just wants to share and witness so that others can spend eternity with you. Father, give us the courage, give us the wisdom to do so. We love you and we praise you and we ask all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.